0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. We've got a phenomenal show for you tonight. I say that every night because we have a phenomenal show every night. A splendid, terrific, wonderful, remarkable, astounding, mind blowing, amazing, extraordinary, phenomenal show for you tonight. if you're here with us to bear witness live thank you so much we appreciate your presence live a lot many of you listen to the podcast version of, of this which is completely okay because i transcribe the magnetic energy of what we're doing which is a sacred event into the recording of this because i do regard these events as highly sacred because they are So last week if you remember you were you were given a homework assignment and your homework was to do something above and beyond for a complete and total stranger and then when they asked you would tell them that you would just pay that forward they would pay that forward that same level of kindness it's like the butterfly effect of kindness So did you do the homework last week? Okay Well if you didn't If you did, great If you didn't, you still have time to do that Because as I said Ladies and gentlemen last week That Our connection to each other Is divine few years there have been forces that have tried to disconnect us from this divine connection so I ask you to honor that let's let's build it let's start one block at a time and build it I said that I would talk about the state of the podcast a little bit well The the podcast is great. We're still ranked in the top 100 in the world. And we've got... We're doing shows every week. We've got a phenomenal lineup next, next month, next year. But I really wanted to give an end this year with a bang, with a very special guest for you tonight. He's a friend of mine. His name is Chance Gardner, ladies and gentlemen. Xavier. But I uh, no, no, not yet. <laughs> but I'm your host, Xavier Katana. Here, let me just. I'm gonna, I'm gonna cut this music, and then we're gonna, we're gonna bring Chance in. Chance Gardner is an award-winning visual artist, 3D animator, composer, and the writer-producer of the cult classic documentary series Magical Egypt. And after a 25-year career producing for major networks, he moved into uh, a different part of his life. He decided that he wanted to produce uh, this, this aspect of uh, an alternative view of hidden, quote, Forbidden knowledge, and so for mankind, he wanted to explore this for mankind. So, Chance, you know, it's very unusual that I have a guest back on so quickly, and that's that's how much I connected with you, and that's how much I think you have to bring to the table. And I'm so so happy to have you here. Welcome to HXP Chance.
1: Thank you, Xavier. What an honor. I had a great time last week, and I do feel like we have some important work to do.
0: Yeah, yeah, we always do, don't we? I mean, that's part of it. I think that's that's part of our service to to mankind, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's it's important to do this work, this type of work or where we're not we're not just discussing, but also doing. And Yeah. So, okay, chance, I'm just gonna get right into the nitty-gritty, the juice of this all, and I'm gonna present Go you I'm gonna present you with A thought experiment, okay? So, I want you to pretend that I am an alien species and I've come here from galaxies away and I've observed the planet for many, many years and the species, Chance Gardner, we have come from many, many galaxies away and we are here to decide the fate of your species <laughs> show me what you got <laughs> so so chance what do you what do you say to an alien species that is ready to hit cancel on humanity because we've done so much to the earth that is maybe not good we've done so much to each other that is maybe harmful so what do you what do you say
1: The very first thing is um, I would uh, ask for some assurance that we weren't in a simulation, that we were doing any uh, damage at all. Secondly, there's a part of my mind that would want to uh, go behind the backs of humanity and make a bet with the aliens and then um, sell out humanity to win the bet. (laughs) Remember that South Park when the devil and Jesus had a fight and the devil bet on Jesus and then won a bunch of money? Um, So that's a very good question, and I think about it quite a lot, and it's a staple of um, science fiction, of of course, and philosophy. Um, And the the kind of obvious superficial answers are things for me, I have to honestly say I cannot think of anything for quite a while (laughs) that humanity's done that I would hold up as a positive. Um, It Hmm. sure would seem to me like any outside uh, observer might view us as a kind of cancer. And um, one of my favorite stories about humanity in our seeming aloneness in the universe is that there's something about us that is so dangerous and so naturally insidious that there's a quarantine around us and that we're not allowed to leave. And um, I cannot say that I blame uh, people with our current colonizing mindset so i can certainly understand a reason why it might happen that someone says this experiment or this simulation is over until we can give you a reason to continue on um you know there's an island in the galapagos where they used to uh allow monkeys or take monkeys this certain kind of monkeys because it was very pure environment and uh, there was a place called monkey island (laughs) that was um you know way back when the behaviorists and the evolutionary um scientists darwin and whatnot were studying evolution um they created this petri dish out in the out in the um, open ocean a series of sort of barren islands and they introduced these monkeys. And the monkeys did too well. The monkeys did so well that they took over the place. And it's just teeming, thriving with monkeys. But the monkeys became entitled on their island. And every time a sociologist would show up to visit the monkeys, the monkeys would kill whoever <laughs> showed up. And so the island now is this, uh, it's under quarantine. And no one's allowed to go. And I, I suspect that maybe our planet might be something very similar to that. So if someone were to say you're going to end unless we you give us a reason, I would have to hold up. Um, our artistic contributions. An assumption that the aliens have the same sensory inputs that we do and would understand art the same as we did. But I, <laughs> if you could, the lyrical intelligence of Kurt Vonnegut, the, um, Kurt Vonnegut, the uh, amazing immortal author from the 70s, mm-hmm. the songs of the Beatles, the songs of Laurie Anderson, the books of Charles Bukowski
0: mm-hmm.
1: our literary offerings, are... Uh, art our artistic offerings there's something very unique in the human psyche i believe that we produce things that are whimsical things that are distortions of truth so that we can look at the universe from all of these different perspectives that aren't necessarily the, the visually apparent perspectives more important than that so i would hold those arts our our artistic expressions up uh our technological uh our technological accomplishment, accomplishments are undeniable but almost always seem weaponized. And just about everything we've done in the tech industry seems to add a tick to the alien's argument that we should be put down. But our artistic expressions, I think, are remarkable. But I just wanted to give you one more idea. There's mm-hmm. a, some, a lot of friends that we have because of the nature of our show that are new age are very on the cutting edge of, of things, of, on the cutting edge of human experience. And one of them said to me recently that There is something going on. I I love this idea. I can't figure out how much veracity to put to this. But there are people around the universe, there are entities around the universe that have a keen eye on mankind because we're just moving into this state where something's going to happen to us. Something fundamental is happening to humanity. And it's so interesting that the rest of the universe is watching us to see what's going to happen. It seems like we're Mm -hmm. about to evolve into something that we've never been before and that the universe has never seen before which is mm-hmm. a very interesting thing. Like, I want to be present to see what that is. And what I suspect, I mean, since I first heard this, and again, I want to say I don't consider this absolute truth, but it was certainly the most intriguing idea I've heard from last year. And it has to do, I believe, if we had to pick, like, what direction can we go in that would be interesting to other species and mm-hmm. somehow um cause this radical change in the universe. And what I believe is this. We're just beginning to understand, and perhaps we've always suspected reality itself, we talk about reality as being a simulation. There's an intelligent fabric to reality that's receptive, Mm -hmm. that we can plant seeds in, and that one of the most horrible things that happened to us when we were physically severed from our past and from our traditions Mm -hmm. and from our owner's manual Mm -hmm. is that we lost this idea of animism, that everything is alive outside of us, and somehow Mm -hmm. we've very effectively been isolated and cut away from nature so that we're outside of nature. We need to put walls up and put on clothes to protect us from nature and whatnot. But then at some point in the past, we were an essential component of nature. And I believe that there's something unique about our consciousness and our ability to visualize that once we remember that we are partners with this intelligent, receptive fabric of reality, we can start exploring this strange thing. And the One of the things from your personal experience, Xavier, that's happening to more and more people now is this new sense or this sensory, this new mode of operation that happens that's fairly common in the Eastern world, that through things like yoga and tantra, humans, Westerners, um, who were absolutely unaccustomed to even thinking this way, there's this new aspect of human consciousness starting to come online and we don't know so much about it in the West because it's not really part of our lexicon. There's no cultural context for it. But throughout history, there's all these references from all different cultures to the Kundalini process and these things that we can do to evolve into this higher state of consciousness. And In the West, it's fairly repressed and uh, hidden from us, and it's part of the reason why our programming in Magical Egypt is so controversial, because we deal with the world that used to contain this magical mm-hmm. thing. that's mm-hmm. still there, and still available, and the trigger for it is still placed in the center of every one of us, and it's only because it's unfamiliar in our society that we're not talking about it more, because it really is, it seems to be the most important thing that there is. So much so that the rest of the universe is watching us to see how we react I, I, you know, I, I agree with you. I agree.
0: I'm, I'm sorry to bump you there just I I, I agree with you f- I agree with you most f- for the most part like I think I think that we are on this sort of cosmic trigger uh, evolutionary cusp of transcending into a 5d perhaps realm and I don't mean to get like light cider with this. I'm just looking at the different civilizations that have existed through time you have studied them I've studied them the the Mayans, the Vedas, the Aztecs, all of them, the Egyptians, they they all speak about this time. Vedas talk about the Kali Yuga, and the Mayans yeah. talk about this. period. That's why there was the, the whole 2012 myth, right? Like the uh, the 2012 Psyop, you could say. Um, and it was just it was this idea that the world would change completely and totally. And the Mayans were actually even more on point with it. They they understood that we line up with the the center, center of the Milky Way galaxy and there's like this this photonic burst or charge that emits. Wow, good on you. Emits. It emits out. And as it emits out, we literally ascend. Like, that's what happens. And so, I'm, I'm sorry, I was taking notes as you were talking. So I was running out of places <laughs> to put notes. So I'm like, okay, I have to bump him now. But, but I... I also agree with you in the, in the idea that um, we do hurt the planet in a way that is, is wrong. And like, if you like chance, have you ever been, you know, you've tra- traveled internationally, like, you know how they, they, they meticulously check you if you have like plants or like a lizard or something like that, you're, you're, you're carrying yeah. it to South America and, And if you look at what happens when there's cross-species contamination, um, this this species, when it enters this new habitat, it will decimate that habitat completely because of its genetic advantage.
1: There is the most amazing song. It's always been one of my favorite songs. It's a song called Humans from Earth by T-Bone Burnett. And it's a song about humans out in the universe colonizing. And we always say the same thing. You're going to want us there, believe me. We have this crazy little thing we call TV. (laughs) Do you have electricity? And we are there to consume uh, the resources of all the other planets around us. Uh, a hilarious song, has very much to do with colonizing and our feeling that we are right to uh, that we are right to colonize, which is you know highly questionable at best. There was a book when I was young, and uh, I it originally was a short story and then turned into a book. It was by a gentleman named Paul Anderson, P.O.L. Anderson, and it's a, a book called Brainwave. Hmm. And what it is is a kind of modern retelling. I didn't know the story of the Zabalba twins that you just mentioned until much more recently in my life. But when I was quite young, I read this book. And it was literally the story of the Zabalba twins only told in a more modern metaphor that there is some kind of emission, some kind of light or ultralight or some kind of whatever it is, that the carrier mechanism for consciousness. There is something that is emitted from the galactic center. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the whole mechanism that we're in, the Earth bobs from below the galactic plane in the middle of the plane to above and below and above Mm -hmm. and there's certain times where our geometry relative to the center of the galaxy we're in direct line of sight with these emissions from the center of the galaxy so the point of this brainwave thing was that it started from the perspective of a rabbit who just got caught in a trap and suddenly the rabbit remembered the series of events that led to him being trapped and he figured out how to undo this mechanism and then it goes to something else and something else. And basically what it was was as Earth moves around the galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, we move through periods of greater and uh, greater and lesser electrical conductivity. We move through vast stretches that are elect- electrically dampening. Hmm. And during those times, you know, 2,600, 26,000 years at a time in some cases, brain activity is prevented and stultified because of these uh, dampening fields that we move through. And then suddenly the Earth moves out of these dampening fields and our electromagnetic brain suddenly you know triple in capacity just because of the ambient conditions like if you were a flower and you were born under a car and that car was constantly casting shadows on you and never let you see the Sun Um, then the car was moved suddenly you're gonna have this radical growth and it's gonna seem like almost an evolutionary shift Mm -hmm. for you Mm -hmm. but uh, interesting idea that ambient conditions would have a huge effect on our intelligence, our intuition, and the uh, functions of the brain. And if you understand the way conditions change as we go around this giant wheel every 26,000 years around the Milky Way galaxy, uh, you can see that there's periods of greater and lesser growth. And so the yugas, like you were talking about, we're in the Kali Yuga right now. Mm-hmm. The only good thing about the Kali Yuga is that we hit our, bottom, our lowest point. We bottom out, as alcoholics say we hit rock bottom and then you start bouncing back. And the fun of humanity is that rise again, where we start to remember all these things about ourselves that somehow we forgot in the dark ages.
0: Hmm.
1: I'll try to answer shorter. I literally have a, I have an egg timer in front of me. <laughs> <that I'll start laughs> do,
0: using. Really. Okay, cool. I'm glad. I'm glad. Um uh, No, I mean, I, there's so much to say. There's so much to say. And, and I, I think, you know, in the last three years, there has distinctly been a sort of a burst wave of, of something that has, has caused more people to start asking questions, wonder why, and wake up. Yeah and it happened and as you know
1: and as the people we've talked I'm sorry to interrupt but as you know we've started you and I both have started to experience this exponential increase in people having this experience this Kundalini event and uh, most Mm -hmm. of them because if we know them they're Westerners they have no context for it but there seems to be something in the ambient circumstances that we're in that's causing this um, evolutionary shift in consciousness among certain people and so it's very interesting that that whole Zabalba thing twin the whole Zabalba twins thing it's Mm -hmm. In the, um, if you read the very few remaining Mayan codices, Mm -hmm. it talks about the Zababa twins are these um, either uh, a binary star system or something at the center of the galaxy. And one of them is a black hole. And the emissions from this black hole apparently are extremely impactful on human consciousness. And so we are starting to feel it. And there's something about the amplification of consciousness that seems to lead to these Kundalini events. As well so i feel like we might all be looking to the east this was in fact how the book ended that everyone ended up realizing wow the uh, veda the hindu vedas and the, the buddhist writings have had this secret roadmap all this time and for some reason the west buried it so we didn't know what was about to happen to us but people like yourself xavier were bringing and, and i'm certainly devoted my life to doing that um there's a certain dignity and privacy in keeping these things to yourself but there's also a time when it's appropriate for good citizens like you and me to um, start <laughs> telling people this strange new truth that the rules are different and um, the p- potentials, a door is opened and there's potentials at our feet that are going to be amazing if people learn how to pick them up.
0: Yeah. Hopefully soon we'll need a galactic positioning system instead of just a global, like I, I'm ready to evolve past this place. Like I'm, you know, I, yeah. I'm, I'm at a point where I'm like, okay, like I've soaked the experience that I want up and, I I want that self-realization within my lifetime, and I want to break out of the the quote matrix or whatever it is the the reincarnational loop, and and that that seems to be a big part of it. You know, there's you can go into different stories about the uh, so-called white light or whatever, and and but there and and then we could talk about archons if you want. Like I mean, there that perhaps there are these sort of half gods, demigods that maybe feed on our energy our emotional energy all of it you know um yep. uh, Monroe talked about it he he mentioned it as a louche I'm sure you've heard and so yep. I mean what's your what's your stance on on that aspect of things as far as like okay we're here and there are these other there are these there are these other beings there and you know how do you think that interplay is working out
1: uh, some of the most interesting writers. There's a lot of people out there who will love Carlos Castaneda, um, myself, uh, George Gurdjieff. Um, after my you know time with John, John was such a fanatical George Gurdjieff fan. There's so many different cultures that talk about this, and oddly enough, a lot of them use the same phrase, the horror of the situation. There was a moment in the Don Juan, in the Cardinal's Castaneda books, when Don Juan is talking to his initiate, and he's kind of skirting around the subject, and he brings up this thing called the horror of the situation. Um, Gurdjieff brings up the same thing in a different context, that if you—you be careful when you start studying and looking at reality, because there's a very comforting veil drawn over this awful truth that we might be here as— the harvestable fruits <laughs> we are here basically what we do to chickens and cows we keep mm. them to feed off of them there's a really compelling uh, line of tradition that we are food for a, a higher being mm. and so um you know you see these things on dmt you see um, other entities people talk about archons there's a story uh, so basically these things hate us and either keep us for food and feed on our misery and there's a lot of different traditions uh, that have some compelling evidence for that. And there's another thing that is related to this. It goes all the way back to Samaria and some of the earliest writings. Um, I'm not – I love Zechariah Sitchin when I was 9 or 10 or 11 years old. But as I get older, there's some critical cracks in his you know, his journalistic um, trustworthiness, And there's some things that make it a little bit squirrely. But <laughs> – In his – basically the problem with Sitchin is that nobody else that speaks Sumerian will agree that he's (laughs) translating these things correctly. So it's hard to know exactly what's going on there. But um, one of the stories that's been around uh, from the very beginning – in fact, there's this amazing author, Robert Lawler, who used to live with Vanessa and I for a while. He wrote about this quite a bit too, that – all of these ancient stories, the beginning of cities and the beginning of human civilization, in this line of looking at things, came when aliens came down. And, and some people say they were trying to civilize us, other people say they were trying to harvest us. But in Lawler's book, and then a couple of other, um, places that explore these old traditions the reason that the cities had these big walls on them was to keep people in that was the first people farms that cities Mm. have always been farms for people and Mm. any anarchist knows get the hell out of the city if you want any kind of freedom or autonomy or, or dignity but um this idea, all the way back from the Sumerians, they would talk about Inki and Enlil and the um, siblings of theirs and the people who uplifted humanity at the very beginning for, you know, kind of selfish reasons. Mm. That whole story is a thing all unto itself. The, the legend goes that they uplifted humanity by uh, modifying our DNA so that we'd be just smart enough to work in the gold mines so that sure. they wouldn't have to. But part of that tradition is there's something about our thoughts. And the way it's described in Sumerian is that people were loud. People were too loud and raucous, and the gods couldn't get any sleep. And so the gods wanted to kill humanity, just like we might want to kill our neighbor's (laughs) dog that stays awake and uh, barks all night. And so a very interesting thing that uh, the concept that in the spheres, the reason I bring this up is anybody who's done DMT or uh, mushrooms or anything, occasionally you have these moments where you're – psychic field will overlap with something that's not necessarily in our exact dimension and so you end up psychically communing with these things that are so strange and so inhuman. but for some reason our sphere of consciousness just like if you had a really powerful radio ham radio or cv radio you're overlapping with other people's transmissions And occasionally you can interact with these bizarre non-corporeal beings in certain states of psychedelics that cause certain brainwaves that allow you to do these things. And so when you overlap in these things, you can kind of hear their thoughts and they can hear your thoughts. And when you have these moments, you really understand those stories that the Sumerians were saying that the gods hate people because they're making so much noise that the gods can't relax. Wow. And so they kind of understandably like imagine if you couldn't turn your tv off and you were receiving all the tv signals all the time and it was just gilligan's island all day long and you're trying to solve a problem and the professor is building a radio on the island and it would drive you insane you know yeah and so um and there's one more idea that i wanted to because uh, i love this i love this topic um, okay there's an idea called botrytis there's something that we do intentionally to grapes to give them this horrible disease <laughs> it's like hmm. grape cancer grape aids but the result of this uh, disease that the grapes get is that they pr- overproduce sugars. So they make this beautiful dessert wine that doesn't happen oh. normally in nature.
0: Interesting.
1: But we intentionally give the grapes this disease because we feed off of the produce that this disease makes. And it's an excellent, excellent allegory for this <laughs> yeah. system of society we seem to be in that's specifically designed to create maximum misery yeah. so that these things that eat are paying <laughs> and, harvest. and that's why the wars have to happen with some regularity. That they get hungry, they get tired of a nibble, and they want to feast. And there's times every, you know, whatever, 20, 25 years, 100 years, that um, all of society devolves into the purge, into this kill fest.
0: Yeah like I mean, chance, we, we that have to be laugh at it we have to at the whole scope of all of it you know everything we've studied and absorbed and and you're right ignorance is bliss but <laughs> but it gets boring after a while you know and yep, and yep. eventually start digging into some forms of knowledge and and, and we, we seem to each go through this sort of, uh, rite of passage, you know, it's like, it's like this, the rite of passage through understanding different philosophers, different philosophies, different ideas, different concepts, and, and, uh, you know, and then we end up at a point where, like, okay, we're here now, but I, I think, I think, Chance, that our thoughts matter, our thoughts are so crucial, and and I have, Interviewed scientists that can put science on this, like Dean Radin or uh, Dawson Church. Or there's a few other scientists that that have done work to prove that our thoughts create reality, literally manifest and create reality. And so, so I think I think these beings, um, what they what they are the most afraid of, and why the propaganda and everything is so necessary, is because they're so scared of us figuring out that through union and through connectivity, through peace amongst ourselves, we have immense, immense power to create reality.
1: Right. Um, Speaking of that, Xavier, let me do something. Let me turn the tables on you for a minute and ask (laughs) you to do a homework thing. Okay. It's just a thought. It's another thought exercise. Okay. It seems the tables have turned, Mr. Bond. Um, (laughs) Here is what it is. What would you do if suddenly you were in on this secret that you had a different relationship with the intelligent fabric of reality than you thought and that you were to realize that all of society was there to keep you from realizing that you were a god essentially or that you could make a deal with reality so that the things you wanted the most would happen what would you do if we were really here and the entire universe was watching humanity because we are about to do something that changes the universe what would you do how would you use that power once you discovered it so think about that maybe we we'll talk about it at the end of the show hmm. Or maybe it doesn't need to be said. but it needs So, I mean, to be I just,
0: so I want to understand, I want to understand the thought experiment. Like if, what would I do with the, the knowledge of that power? power?
1: Your ability. What would you do if you understood that whatever you projected into reality would happen? I, I mean, I feel like. It's a big I, exercise because it, you, you're damning yourself by thinking small, like maybe we just have a small window of opportunity to absolutely change everything. Anyway, I don't want to answer for you.
0: Think no, I, 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 I want peace. Like I think, I think for me, I think in my heart is um, when other people are happy, when my friends are happy, it, that in turn makes me happy. And so when I, I'm a very empathic person. So I think, I think that when when I see other people feel pain, I, I don't like that. And you know, I think, I think this system that we've been sort of condition to be in and the 9 to 5 and all these things that's not what being human is like we are spiritual beings having having a human experience but 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 life is not your 9 to 5 job i mean yes you have to do that to survive that's what they tell you but but i, I, th- I think it's so much more than that it's the dimensions of experience they they're there's so much it goes so much deeper and so i think I would give people the ability to be liberated from that, that condition.
1: Brilliant. Meaning. There seems to be an active—one um, w- of the things about the West, uh, the United States in particular, they say, was a sociological petri dish. It was really one of the first times that we that people were allowed to grow outside of the suffocating influence of a monarchy or a hierarchy where, you know, if you were in the same room with Prince Charles, Prince Charles would get a very def- different bit of attention than you would. And there's something built into this idea of a hierarchy that some people are just better than others, which most people have a really hard time swallowing. Up. And part of the things that they do to perpetuate this idea that some people live in absolute unfathomable wealth and opulence and other people mm-hmm. live in dirt and uh, are eating crap all day long um the idea that that is normal is perpetuated and there is this whole body of knowledge uh, that was br- written about very brilliantly by machiavelli in his book the prince about how do you hold on to power and the reason the way you do it is you keep Everyone else disempowered. Sure. Take away their identity, take away their hopes, <laughs> take away humor if possible. I don't know if you've noticed there's a war on humor. There's a war on sexuality. <laughs> there's a everything that makes us. There's a war uniform, on everything. everything
0: that makes us human. <laughs> What's that? There's a war on war. It's like it, it, all we know is war. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But it reminds me. Go ahead. There's sorry.
1: a curation of reality. There's this reality that we live in cuts off very much like if you were a chicken and you were on a chicken farm there's painting on the wall that makes it seem like you know how a chicken cage sometimes they'll paint a blue sky and they'll paint a beautiful pastoral scene on the wall of a chicken coop and then the chickens are still in cages but they get to look up at this beautiful mural and it's very much the condition we're in now and imagine in this metaphor that the chickens all can fly, but you just want them not to remember to, that they can fly because you're making money off of keeping them trapped there. And so you've created this artificial reality, this artificial paradigm that there's no mention of famous flying chickens from the past. There's no mention of the chicken's eye view from 100,000 feet, that these ideas of autonomy and these ideas of flying have been completely withdrawn from chicken society so that they make better you know, better harvestable, harvestable walking meats. And it really is the sense that we have now that somehow we've been prevented from understanding something fundamental about ourselves. And in the Magical Egypt series, we come to the conclusion, I mean, it really walks up and punches you in the face, it climbs up your nose that – there's an owner's manual for humanity. There's this timeless, ageless, incredibly old owner's manual for the human psyche and the schematics of consciousness and even schematics of the exact brain parts that give rise to consciousness or allow us to participate in consciousness. And for some reason, these have been very carefully weeded out of our culture so that we don't know that there's all these extra things about ourselves. We don't even know there's an owner's manual that like, what have you ever bought an appliance that didn't come with a five page owner's manual. (laughs) Up in your head, you have the most complicated machinery that's ever existed. And you're born into this world with virtually no guidance. Nobody told you. There's parts of your psyche that you don't even know about. You might be able to travel in time. You might be able to fly. But it's better for us if you don't understand those things about yourself. And and so our past has been stolen from us. And our reality as it's presented to us is not correct. And so once you start studying these things, and especially when you look at ancient Ancient civilizations—they celebrate and worship and immortalize these things about ourselves that we've been trained to believe don't even exist.
0: Yeah, Janice, that's that's so beautifully stated. That that our past has been stolen from us, and I—it's uh, that past knowledge of of what we are and who we are, and as not just not just these bags of meat, but like these spiritual beings that are infinite in dimension. And you know, if you've if you ever explored uh through ayahuasca dmt um there's there's no there's no i don't don't know what that was guess i don't know what that was but i'm sorry there was a loud noise there on your end chance but anyway so are you still there by the way if the apocalypse comes i'm one day ahead of you so you can hear me
1: burning and writhing and like the blast the atomic (laughs) blast you'll hear it and you'll be able to prepare for it. It's like a public service I provide.
0: <laughs> it completely took me away from my train of thought. Like oh, was, I'm so sorry. Go try it again. Uh, okay. So um, you know, just that this this spiritual identity has has been purposely hidden from us. And when you when you when you experience something like ayahuasca DMT that allows you just to drop the veil. It doesn't. It's not really doing anything other than just giving you access to yourself. Because. All this stuff is capable. You can do this through meditation. You can just do this yourself anytime that you want. You can sit down and meditate and go into a trance and find this out. You don't need DMT, but DMT makes it a little, it gives it a little bit, it turns it up by maybe exponentially. And, you know, but when, when you go into a deep, deep experience like that, and when you, when you become like a galaxy, then are your arm is like the arm of galaxy or or you're, you're folding between the, the layers of, of space. It's, it's, uh, and then, you know, and then sometimes I've had those sessions and I come back, I come back to myself, my, my body. And I'm like, oh my God, what the F I've got a body? Like, what, what am I doing here? And, you know, so it, it's, it, it is intriguing. There's, there's a lot to be said about, unlocking and beginning maybe perhaps chance that's our test maybe that is our our kind of mission while we're here is to remember what's what's been taken from us exactly and a big part of that I think we've talked about this before there's
1: so many different secret and fraternal societies that there's a stage in that work and it's very secretive but there's a stage in that work where suddenly you find out all your previous faces and all your previous names. And one of the things, certainly, that's been taken away from us in Western culture is the idea that we might be an eternal consciousness and we move through a succession of physical vehicles. And um, that's a pretty important thing to know. Uh, Much easier to bully and terrorize someone if they're afraid of dying, when you get to that Obi-Wan space where you're aware of yourself as a continuity of consciousness. And that any individual, you know, it's like stealing one of my shoes. If you take this body down, I'll come back. I'll come back again in a better, funner form. It's an interesting thought, and it's one of the ways that they've always used to scare us and bully us. And, you know, the whole idea of martial law is the idea that I am my body. And if I'm not, then I'm a much harder person to govern.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And uh, I'm going to be getting up to a very different set of activities during the day.
0: Yeah, I mean, a chance, something that I see everywhere all around us is like distraction 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 elon musk something over here over here over here and it's all around us and like what people don't what i see in my experience what people don't see is that it's not out there it's in here it's inside yep. yourself turn inwards turn that awareness wow. inwards in through meditation and align with whatever is going on on a cosmic trigger level because this is the time. This is why we're here. We came here to witness this and to experience this. And if you really want to understand that, then just, I mean, I tell this to people all the time, but just meditate. Just turn yeah. inwards and and put that focus inside yourself. If you try to understand that it's all
1: a clockwork mechanism and that you're one of the gears, you're essential, you're essential to this. You might be God. You might be God. I mean, the... Worst thing about being God is the unbelievable boredom, and wouldn't you want to? Like, how often do you um, stop doing what you're doing and go to the theater? that doesn't even exist anymore, but you turn on TV and you escape by watching Forrest Gump or something, and just for a small period of time. You become Forrest Gump, and you forget who you are, and you forget the miserable realities of your boring existence, and you become you know, Indiana Jones or Forrest Gump for a minute. And I I have to believe that whatever the ultimate sentience is at the very top of the hierarchy, the, the undifferentiated primal consciousness of the universe, one of the basic functions of consciousness is to get bored. And so you might, like the king who dresses as a villager and wanders around around the village, you might be God, Xavier. You might be God watching your... And part of the fun is that you have to trick yourself into not remembering who you are. Because it's no fun when you're watching a film and you can't get invested in the film because you know how it ends. So you might make a deal with everyone around you. Don't tell me. Don't remind me I'm in a movie until the movie's
0: over. Yeah. Yeah, it's exactly like Santa Claus, except you all of us we are god we forgot we forgot that we entered this sort of video game and it's so realistic that we we feel like it's oh this is real this is real but but actually dude you're just having an experience you're probably plugged into some computer interface somewhere and when you come out of it you're gonna be like oh my god it's so obvious oh of yeah course. yeah you know and so it it just it i don't know chance it's a it, sometimes it you know i'm I'm closer to the truth than others, you know, like, and I wanted to ask you, like, what do you suggest? Like, I I feel there's a lot of people out there that, that feel doubt. I mean, there's, because it's all around. us. we're told broadcasted like, and they live like there's broadcast of fear and doubt and like dark stuff. And, and uh, like, I'm so tired of it. I don't want to, don't want to connect to that vibe at all, you know? So, I mean, what do you do?
1: One of the things that really helped me, they say consider the source, or uh, Marshall McLuhan said the medium is the message. When you look around at all the input sources in your life, and some of them are beautiful, some of them are like flowers, uh, some of them are like beautiful literature. And there's other mouths in your life, probably the ones that are closest to you, that are poisonous and destructive and depressing and disempowering. And what you realize is damn near anything that has a glass screen on it, this portal to God knows where, there's a message that comes in that's pure poison. It's pure, horrible adrenaline and fear. And it's the – I mean I I feel weird talking about this because I spent – I'm a child of the media, I spent 20 years working in network television, and I was partly responsible for the web of lies that we consider to be our our culture. Mm -hmm. Consider what voices in your life are producing what messages, and it's entirely within your capability to get away from the computer, get off of um, social media, stop watching TV. Just do it for a day, go out in the woods, go out somewhere where only your ideas are allowed to be in your head. And when you realize that there's this external voice that keeps pumping poison and disempower disempowering thoughts and anger and pettiness, pumping those things into your head, possibly for those reasons that we talked about to create pain in your life that they can feed off. But even if that's a, just a weird thought exercise, if you just consider in your life and even in your head, you know, we have three separate brains that are completely different people in our head. And so one voice tells you you need to be thinner, and another voice tells you, damn, go get one of those steaks that we had last night. <laughs> and that champagne's not going to drink itself, my friend. And you have all these contradictory voices in your head. And yeah. um, understanding that, select which... Inputs you, you're the curator, you're the curator of your own head. You know how you go to a party and everyone's wearing the same clothes because they all shop at Target or whatever. And you are the curator of what's inside your head, you're the designer of the curriculum of your life. Yeah. And most yeah. importantly, you're the guy that gets to you're the moderator to use a podcasting yeah. term. You get to decide what voices to mute, and you start to realize all the voices are remarkably consistent. So if I just find that voice that's telling me to hate people, or telling me to fear, or telling me to whatever be afraid of something so that they can sell me something um you know and the more time you spend well this is what you said to start with the more time you spend curating your own garden inside the more you realize i'm not letting any nitwit or any insane person dictate what's in my head and so the very first thing you do is understand that you have a direct main line of poison coming in you through organized official media
0: yeah I love love your idea of just d- d- unplugging, disconnecting for one day, even if it's for an hour, just disconnect, leave your phone, go to a spot in nature and just, just absorb that, just feel that.
1: It's addictive in a way that there's no words for. I mean, I can't even, maybe those words have been withdrawn from our lexicon, so we don't understand it, but it's just like eating live food for a day. You will not believe how Everything changes when you get away from that horrible voice of poison.
0: And, and like you said, I mean, it's it's just hidden from us just enough, and it's like yeah. it, there's a there's a la- very thin layer that we just have to kind of we have to choose to walk through. And that's something else I wanted to bring up to you in this episode was just the the concept of free will, because this seems to be a a, a universal law, a hard law that nothing can can impede on our free will and you can think of ideas why that's true but but it so it becomes your choice your choice when you choose to move in a certain direction with your life or when you choose to pick that negative voice then that's that's your choice that's that's your experience
1: another thing to constantly be watching for a lot of people understand this about the education system and i think we all know teachers that are really good people so i don't want to paint with too broad a brush here but there seems to be something about what's what the education system is evolving into that speaks to this fundamental war that happened in the like 1910 19 um even before that 1870s on there was a whole group of scientists called behaviorists (laughs) and if you think of like maybe philosophers or i don't know what the name for the contrary camp is but the idea that people are these magical, unlimited beings who can do anything once they set their mind to it. And so the importance of education is that you're only limited by your the limits of your education and the limits of your IQ, which might be limitless depending on what kind of educational system you follow. The opposing idea to that is actually the idea that seems to have taken hold, that education on one hand, but then there's this dark science of behavior modification, mm-hmm. which is really horrible things like hypnosis or... Programming, psychic driving, mm-hmm. or just bombarding someone with propaganda. Yeah. Sigmund Freud's daughter Anna Freud, who you know, obviously Anna's never going to r- r- grow up to fill the footsteps of her father. But and she was a nut, by the way. Imagine being Sigmund Freuded to death—that your father was <laughs> Sigmund Freud. So she was a nutcase by the time she grew up. There's some really interesting stories there. But her whole therapy, she had these two schizophrenic children that were her patients. Oh, no. And her plan was she devised this entire artificial reality, even having fake newspapers printed. And I think these were obviously the days before television, but nowadays you would have specific television shows created for these people that you're trying to modify their behavior. And her idea was let's modify the reality bubble these people are in, and maybe that will. And I'm sure she drove the kids insane and they ate each other or something. I mean, I'm sure the experiment was a horrible um, tragedy. awful. But it seems to be scaled up and is being put out on all of us now that every time you turn on the TV, you see this artificially curated world that only exists in the television. And there's some kind of, I don't think it's for our own good. I think it's more to constrain and homogenize our behavior and our responses. Just statisticians like that, insurance companies like that, commerce loves it. And so um, that the behaviorist idea like if you shock a mouse enough you can modify his behavior behavior modification by punishment or by ridicule everybody who's been to school understands that kind of thing but you know police and bullies and everybody that is evil (laughs) tends to use negative reinforcement to modify your behavior and you can get a person to do it's it's unsettling how programmable we are that little creep yuval um that works for the world economic forum mm. that says we're just oh. hackable machines yeah you're only understanding one half of the carrot you know how one carrot half of the carrot sticks up above ground and one half is underground there's a, a massive ocean of substance to people that doesn't exist on the physical realm but somehow the behavior, mod- behavior modifiers behavior modificationists whatever you want to say <laughs> um have grabbed onto the part of us that is very programmable. So all these mechanical ways of forcing behavior mm-hmm. are – that's the society we live in now. And we're very few of us left with the freedom to become whatever we're going to become. Sort of like in a garden, you know, you pull the weeds that aren't the ones you want there. And these weeds might be incredibly valuable or necessary for the ecosystem. But you're like, no, I don't want those. I just want roses. I only want, you know, whatever.
0: What and sense, so I mean, just they're look, we're, Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Your point. No, I was just yeah. going to say – I was just going to say just – I mean, we can – like that uh, all the stuff you're talking about was years ago but we can just look at the last three years what's happened and yeah look at how much it's caused a disconnection in in our our fundamental most basic human thing is that we are social animals that yeah. we we need that that touch we need to feel and be seen and be heard and That's part of, you know, you can go into Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's it's a part on the pyramid. So if you go talk
1: to a traditional doctor, they don't even acknowledge that you have an energy body. Like Western doctors are so dismissive of the whole Eastern. And it's not like they're 10,000 years older than us and maybe they know something we should acknowledge. Western science is like, nope, that's ridiculous because we don't already believe it. It must not exist. (laughs) And so there's... um, yeah, we are actively being prevented from understanding a giant part of ourselves by a group that doesn't even acknowledge that we have a, an energetic body uh, and that we need. We have these kind of non-physical nutrition. So this is the importance of aesthetics and the importance of going to a museum, the importance of being around little kids. There's this nutrition that only comes through beauty and aesthetics. The good, the true, the beautiful, as the Freemasons say, are these three really important kinds of aesthetic nutrition. And part of behavior modification is to remove you from all your grounding, remove you from comfort, remove you from familiarity, remove you from having allies, absolutely to restrict your ability to organize. Like that was basically a. Uh, it became illegal to organize and to share your thoughts with others. Venice and I were in Australia when this happened, and there was this insane woman who just absolutely unqualified, but was put in charge of the health, quote unquote, of all of Australia. And one of her big ideas for winning COVID was don't talk to each other in the stores. If you see people you know out in society, don't talk to them because that spreads germs. And you very quickly, because a lot of these people were extremely low IQ, just bumbling idiots who are part of this behavior modification program, they weren't smart enough to introduce the lie and keep pretending that it wasn't a lie. And so yeah. it became very clear that it's, this isn't about a virus. This is about a war an energetic yes. war and an yes. atomization of the individual for yes. this um, restructuring of society that I'm not
0: looking forward to seeing how that's going to turn out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's, it's ongoing. The story, this story is ongoing. And I think, I think we're at a part of the chapter where we got a little bit of a pause, but you know, it is it is almost New Year's Eve, and you know, it is a kind of a sacred day in the human story. I think I think yep. we are I think we are here to witness all of these things just happening, and so I you know I I'm curious to see what the next uh, piece of theater that appears is, and that that should be interesting. And I think I think the the fundamental thing that we need to hone in ourselves is. Is that connectedness? Is that that just meditating ten minutes a day? Go out into nature ten minutes a day. How much? How much ever you can, you should do.
1: Yep. A lot of really interesting people and in cultures say that we are three-brained beings that we actually, and, and there's a lot of different ways to slice this up. That you know, we actually have two distinctly different brains with our two hemispheres, and then your brainstem your body your nervous system there are all kinds of brains there are all these coexisting brains that we have and we've been relegated to only using this one brain the daytime regular consciousness brain but uh, there's a funny thing I'm uh, you know being a creative myself and having been in entertainment my whole life I'm always marveling at the zeitgeist the collective consciousness and how there's things that society hasn't collectively acknowledged yet but they keep come they keep bubbling up from the depths of you know the creative subconscious, and one of the ideas is this ideas of superpowers or cities. And mm-hmm. we like when we see Harry Potter, we just react to it in this way, like, "Oh my God, that's true!" But I'm not allowing myself to know that that's mm-hmm. true. And one of the tropes that come from like X Files things and superhero, you know, Marvel comics, is that sometimes for your superpower to become apparent, you have to be put under an incredible amount of stress. stress. You have to be in a burning building or whatever, and so. Sometimes you think when I was in Los Angeles, I used to hang out with the Freemasons a lot more. And one of the things <laughs> that used to infuriate me, like infuriate me, from uh, when I was talking to the high-ranking uh, Masons, was that I'd get all alarmist about these trends in society, and they refused to get flapped about it because they would just look at me and smile like I was an idiot, which I probably am, uh,
0: and just say,
1: "Look, there's a bigger, there's a bigger force." And there's lots of times where it seems like chaos and we're heading down a terrible tragedy. Just Sometimes you turn the steering wheel left, sometimes you turn the steering wheel right to get to where you're going. But there's much smarter minds in charge of governing this bush, trimming the bush of society. And don't worry about it. Because it's going to be, there's going to be times of turbulence and times of reorganization, and it's they're so calm. It used to infuriate me that they didn't get caught up in my anxiety, but they were very calm about. You know, everything's under control. Everything's we're, heading we're, towards. The
0: we're, I'm just, I just want to keep track of the time because I know your time is limited, and that there are a couple things that I wanted to ask you about. So I, I apologize oh, if I interrupt you. Um, you right. I wanted to, I wanted to ask you. I'll about, just keep talking.
1: By the way, I'm like a horse. I want to ask you about
0: altered states of consciousness I I want you to I, I want to get your perspective of altered states of consciousness through time like I know there was like the Ellucian mystery schools and a few other mystery schools back in the day like during Kemet and ancient Egypt and 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 now there's even mystery schools now but but um how how have you seen it evolve through time and what are the different types of mystery schools that, that you know about? There
1: are so many. There's so many now. Um, right now, and let me say in advance, every one of these things I mention, there's going to be somebody out there that hates it and says this is of the devil and this is a great way to get possessed or whatever. Oh, okay. There's people who are able to be alarmist at almost everything. And that's part of the reason why these things are so pure and undiluted, because if you put a scarecrow out in front, you keep most of the dullards and the dimwits away. That, that's the point of a scarecrow, <laughs> to scare away lesser life forms. And uh, if you look at these things with some generosity of spirit, you'll find that there's incredible, there's a reason why they exist. There's an absolute, fundamentally important reason they exist. But any organization is susceptible to poison and to rot. And, you know, from the Food and Drug Administration to the FBI to the police, there's literally no organization that hasn't been infiltrated Wait, take with me the back to ancient. Mold.
0: Take me back to ancient times and tell me about how pure they were and how beautiful they were.
1: It may turn out there was never a time when there was initiation without somebody standing there charging you to get in and selling you swag and stuff. But one of the reasons I think where we're drawn to the old mystery traditions, uh, and there's some indication that as long as people have been around, these mystery traditions have been there. There's a weird bunch of um, very provable uh, historical literature that when the uh, Spanish conquistadors got to South America – The Mayans knew all of these Masonic hand signs, and they knew these symbols Mm. from classic masonry, and the um, conquistadors could not believe the degree of um, organization of the initiatory uh, institutions here. So the idea, or the word initiation means you've begun something and it has this association of like paul on the the road to wherever damascus scales fall off of your eyes suddenly you see this thing that's in front of you that you've never seen before and it's a moment of initiation you went through one recently when you told me about your recognition that the snake in the tree in the garden of eden yeah. was a kundalini allegory yeah And it absolutely it's the most fundamental story in our christian um tradition is this story Of a snake in a tree, you know, the uh, synapses that go up into your brain is shaped like a tree. And the snake in the tree, of course, is a classic reference to Kundalini. And the eye opening, like the thing that God didn't want is for you to become as intelligent as him. So he gave you this admonition, do not go down this path that will result in your eyes being open. So once you go through an initiatory practice. People will frequently take a new name because their old self is dead and they've been reborn. And that's a part of the significance of the allegory of the virgin birth, that you literally are reborn or this higher part of you is born from this rotten, putrid husk of a physical body. <laughs> and that you uh, – so that's the reason why people will take on a new name when they've gone through an initiation. When you um, do DMT, that's a kind of initiation. When you're, We've talked about this before. Your pineal gland produces DMT. Yep. DMT can be an instant initiation. The whirling dervishes, which were a much later, um, uh, um, let's say, uh, ex- a product or an example of the Sarmun Brotherhood, the uh, Sufis. The Sufis are an interesting, ancient, kind of more Persian, um, Arabic secret society. There was the uh, traditional Egyptian initiations. All of Egypt, basically, is this manual for how to go through initiations. I would say the vedas in ancient india and ancient egypt are very similar in that there was this self-initiated event that you could cause to happen in yourself that yeah. All of these things, you know, there's millions of different names, but they all basically have this same sort of self-initiated psychic evolution that you go Mm. through, usually Mm -hmm. as a result of this Kundalini experience. So ancient Egypt, all of the Asian cultures. I'm in Thailand right now where Thailand's never been colonized. I think it's the only place in the world that's never been taken over by someone else. And part of colonization is you get your connection severed to your past. And nobody's ever done that to Thailand. So there it's Kundalini world here. Every temple has... (laughs) rising and descending snakes, and uh, everything is third eye symbolism. And it's all right here. Um, So uh, initiation, in a way, might be thought of as like a Viagra for this non-physical part of your body. Like, at this moment when you're 14 and you didn't realize that, you know, you have this whole different set of uses for your sexual organs. And suddenly they stand up and call attention to themselves, and you're like, what the hell is that?
0: What's going (laughs) on there?
1: And suddenly you've opened up to this entirely new set of agendas and possibilities and things that you're going after because your life's changed. So it's very much like a spiritual puberty that you go through. And um, so uh, in the ancient times, we know very little about these things, except Egypt keeps transmitting this old mystery tradition that nobody really understands anymore. But if you go a little farther along in time, then come the Freemasons, the Rosicrucians. Rosicrucians are extremely interesting, and most of my most advanced friends – I've Had some experience in the Rosicrucians, but then later, um, the Golden Dawn, and then uh, from the Golden Dawn, the OTO. Uh, mm-hmm. I have a great friend, Lon Duquette, who is the outer head of the OTO for a while, and he's still very involved with them. And I go to OTO meetings whenever I can, and they're weird, they're cool. If you've ever seen Strange Angels about Jack Parsons, yeah, that was I the saw OTO. That. What a great show! Oh, it was amazing. Oh, Wasn't that amazing? Yeah, we what's,
0: your what's your stance? What's your perspective on Crowley? Like, is he is he the, the beast that, that people make him out to be or that, he's, that people say he is or, or is there something there? One of
1: the interesting things about Crowley, he, we saw this later in Michael Jackson and Britney Spears that there are times when the media – Crowley would never have been who he was without the media. Just like Michael Jackson being weird, just like Shania Twain or Britney Spears – Whenever certain people do things, the media will just absolutely saturate the headlines with it. It's not because here's what society needs to know. Here's what's good for society. This is what sells newspapers. And so people love a train wreck. People love schadenfreude. People will buy a million times more newspapers if you put a a salacious, psycho train wreck person in the headlines. (laughs) Yeah, And so just the symbiotic relationship between a person being colorful and interesting, you know, society really, it's an unfortunate aspect of society. In Australia, they call it the tall poppy syndrome. If you stand head and shoulders above mm-hmm. everyone else, look mm-hmm. at Graham. Look at what's going on to Graham yep. right now. Yeah. If you have the unmitigated audacity to stand head and shoulders above the masses, there's this grim reaper with a sickle that's going to come along and try and cut you down. And uh, it's a very present thing in Australian culture. If you act a little too smart, a little too big for your britches or a little too mm. precious, they're mm-hmm. going to cut you down because <laughs> you're a tall poppy. Yeah. And so uh, very related to that, that Crowley um, stood head and shoulders among his peers. But it was because the media realized that whenever they published a horrific article about him – so they would lean into it, and they would hyperbole, and they would overaggrandize the evil. And then he was smart enough, like Michael Jackson. Remember when Michael Jackson was doing all that crazy stuff? He bought Bubbles the Chimp, and he bought the bones <laughs> of the animal man. And he didn't do that because he loved those things. He had PR people saying, okay, do more weird stuff this week so we can get you back right. in the newspapers. Yeah. And so the symbiotic cannibalism of interesting people by the media I think is a big part of why Crowley was um, – so popular. The other thing was, he was one of the first occultists that was really quite open. Israel Rigardi uh, spilled the secrets of the Golden Dawn in this amazing book. Who? Um, Israel Rigardi. Okay. And Crowley, in a way, publicized some of the things that weren't supposed to be publicized. So that was another reason why the media – Wow you know, largely Masonically owned media went after him because every time it's happening with Brad and I and you and and, and Magical Egypt, there's some things in Magical Egypt that used to be considered not fit for public consumption. Hmm. And so you can still see the old guard. And for some reason, they're all occupied elsewhere right now because there's bigger lies to be perpetuated. (laughs) And so the gatekeepers that were guarding the door that Brad and I and Gary snuck into, they're just not there right now because they're working on a bigger lie. Hmm. And so there are moments where you can sneak in there and still gain access to these mystery traditions. But for some reason, they're considered not appropriate for the time now. So there's a huge resistance and a huge effort to uh, vilify people who are proponents of it. Um, I like Crowley because the way – you can't get too explicit when you're talking about the mystery. So Crowley did what I do is use the poetic mode of expression. Mm-hmm to get at the ineffable through art and aesthetics Mm. and music. And there's these very specific things that I do that create kind of a hypnotic thing to shut your left hemisphere down. So you're participating in magical Egypt in the eternal now because your left hemisphere has fallen asleep and your right hemisphere doesn't know past or future. Mm. And it's much more engaged in aesthetics and jokes and music and rhythm and non-lingual things. Mm. And so, um, these are all ways to, like a secret society, in fact, I, I don't think I've ever said this before, but I made Magical Egypt to be sort of a, uh, like a nicotine patch that you can use to quit or to start smoking cigarettes, <laughs> it's sort of an introduction to the mind state of the initiatory process and so it's yeah. happened in a million different ways but everybody has a masonic uh lodge in their town just go and sit in if you yeah. really want to know yeah and uh it's there's nothing specific for years and years in masonry but when it starts happening or you know it's open to the public go to the masonic uh lodge in london the grand lodge number one and they have on display all of these central mysteries they're all geometric problems and these iconic into things but they're all right there nothing's secret it's just like you'd say so it's chance, mildly saying, think, difficult so you have to go through the works to do it yourself
0: you're right i think that i think it's the war the mark of a wise mind to be able to hold an idea to opposing ideas in your mind without without necessarily agreeing or disagreeing with either one until oh, good perhaps on you, you have that's more one of data my
1: favorite, it's one of my favorite riffs right now
0: where you're gone you yeah go. so it's like so it's like if 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 you know if i don't want to decide if something is necessarily good or bad or whatever i just want to hold it in my mind and and think on it for a while then you know there shouldn't be any reason not to do that i think that that is the mark of wisdom if if you're having an emotional trigger or emotional response to something that you've heard in the news or the or the media then then it's the psyop worked on you dude like yeah sorry folks listen to what xavier just said this is why i have such
1: joy in interacting with him that is an incredibly elevated thought you've just had would have been a thought that was absolutely beyond me except uh when venice and i first came to thailand on our initial fact-finding missions here i'd finished the book that i was reading and i just wandered into a bookstore and got one of the few books i could find that was in english and it was a book about confucius i never once heard that name before but most people don't realize how unbelievably smart this guy was and one of the most important things that he said one of the things that absolutely killed me and especially right now it's like this Uh, disinfectant par excellence for the primary disease that we have right now, I have a set of ideas. And if you don't believe exactly the ideas that I believe, then you're my sworn enemy and I will spend the rest of my life trying to to, to, to defeat you. This polar our team or your team has no place in intellect and in, in, in thinking. So I read this thing that Confucius wrote in his book that if you start an argument well what he says is never start an argument unless you understand both sides of the argument so well that you could take either side in the debate if you walk up to an enemy and you know nothing about them you've already lost so confucius's idea was really the primary load-bearing pillar of Rene descartes basic scientific method that you have to be able to hold two simultaneously contradictory viewpoints or possibilities or theories in your mind and then um this is what Rupert Sheldrake and I used to talk about a lot. I met Rupert Sheldrake through jean and John Michelle used to say about Rupert Sheldrake, you can give him any situation and he'll devise a double-blind experiment so you have observable, measurable evidence of which one of these contradictory ideas are correct. So you're not a thinking person unless you can hold two mutually. So you find yeah. your ideal that you like or any thought and then conjure up the exact opposite of that and you have to for a moment suspend yourself exhibit some dispassionate behavior and really honestly look at both without coloring it by which one you want to be true and that is the nature of science it's the nature of intellect so having acknowledged that how far have we been behavior modified where so many people i bet nine out of ten of your friends think the things i know now are sacrosanct and god help you if you try and change my mind because then you're a (laughs) You know, whatever. So like, you know all the words that you get called. Yeah. If you don't think yeah. the same, and yeah. so that was an incredibly important thing. And I just, I just want to point out what a genius you are, Xavier.
0: Oh, 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 man! No, that's I not. I
1: promise, I'm not saying that to get into your pants. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, I don't even know what to say right now. But, but look, I, I, I agree with you. I am a genius. <laughs> First of all, no, no, I'm, I'm not that much of a genius. I'm just a humble genius. Um, I, <laughs> I, um, best part. The best kind. I wish I had a segue right now, you know, like okay, so this the is the where you're thing-
1: Dr. Evil. Do you know any Dr. Evil impersonation? That no, big time for no, record? but we're you running out of
0: time, so I need you to focus, chance. Please. Okay, <laughs> okay, good luck. So, so I, 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 I want to talk about Kundalini because it's very important and. Yeah. I, I find more and more people have are having these kundalini activations or they are activated and I'm encountering them. And wow. so so, so, th- there's something about us finding each other. Like you and I, like your, your K is active, my K is active. It's like what Buddha said, one flame to another. But what if you have two flames? You know, it's almost like a third flame is generated. Like sometimes when you and I wow. talk, sometimes when you and I talk, my whole back just starts to vibrate and shake. I'm just like, what is going on, man? So, so, you know, there is, there is this sort of intergalactic activation happening for this planet and the, the beings on it. And, and perhaps they're experiencing these, these Kundalini moments, these Kundalini activations. And, you know, what's your take on this? Like, you know, c- certainly we're generating these K-active people all on the planet are generating a type of frequency that is also helping the planet itself.
1: There's a thing that I never would have predicted. And I still don't understand it. Something about having gone through this experience, you don't even have to be in the room with a person literally hearing someone's voice who's gone through this experience. I wouldn't have said that like that was an idea to be taken seriously, except Uh, There's been three different people that were Magical Egypt uh, fans who weren't even watching the show. They were watching Brad and I talk, and they had a Kundalini event. It was sort of very much like, you know, there's just something about your brain. I forget which part of your brain uh, does this. But when you watch pornography, your brain doesn't know that you're watching it and you're not participating in it. It's the reason pornography works so well as a wife substitute, um, Mm. that your brain doesn't (laughs) really know the difference on some level, on the level that matters. And so um, when you are in the presence of this event, sometimes when you hear people talking about it, it's sort of like being in the presence of pornography. There's something about the vibration, or maybe there's something about how we're all on this boat going down a narrative stream. And we know what's going to happen, but we don't know what's going to happen at the same time and that we just are not aware that this really incredibly important threshold moment that we all should be striving for has been uh, taken away from us. Uh, there's a thing called an egregory. You know what an egregory is, Savior? No, no. It's a magical term, and it has to do with like a church, but it, it's, it takes place in theaters, it takes place in comedy clubs. Uh happens at Masonic Lodges. The reason this word came up is it's kind of a... a a Masonic term, it's a magical term, when, say, 20 people get together in a magical lodge, an egregor is born that is the total of them together. So, like, if 20 people got together and created a historical society, that historical society becomes a living spirit, an egregor, and it's much more alive than you think, and it starts exhibiting its will on the group. So, when you go to see a movie all by yourself, it's a much less emotional experience than when you see it in a group, when you go to a comedy club or when you go to church and pray, people are like batteries in a series where there's more energy generated if there's more of you there. Right. And so an egregore is this living thing that comes to life as a result of all these people. And oh, I think yeah. there's a Kundalini egregore that's being born in the East where the phenomena itself is a living thing. Like a fire yeah. in a tree and it's gonna spread and spread and spread till the whole tree is alight and then things will change and it might turn out that we needed all this abuse from our government who you mm. know when when you ever think you'd have a sadomasochistic relationship with your government that's going to cause a series of changes in people who are just like no i fell for that once i'm never being governed by some idiot that lives in a different city from me i'm never going to do that again mm. and uh that's that's an egregore being born
0: wow i mean there's there's so much there and i i I agree with you, I think there is there are different parts of this story that are connected into a larger picture, and there are there are of course beings that want to create their own narrative their own story within that story, but we end up we end up at the same you know on the same timeline we end up at the same place either way, and I think you know I think um from one of our conversations, I think that that something that either you said or I realized was. Like oh well, um, there 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 is this sort of I don't know this this evil taking place and and but matching that is is good and when when the agreement that evil and good made was that evil could do what it wanted to do until the very last moment until wow. the very last second and then good would win or the light would win. I think actually, Venice told me about this. Oh. I'm mixing it, but she's that wise, and it it like you know it just it exploded in my brain. I was just like, wow, that's so true. Like that's that it's what's going on right now. That's where we're at now.
1: We've talked about that idea, anamnesis, that um, Plato. This is Plato's idea that he would uh, suggest. You've lived through this uh, series of incarnations, and maybe it's 100, maybe it's 1,000, maybe it's 10,000, maybe it's a million, but every one of these lives, you remember all the lessons, but just like when you go to a movie, you don't want someone to spoil the end of it, there seems to be a partition in our brains to keep us from remembering all of these past life experiences, Hmm. but... At some point, you have a resonance when you hear something that's true, and it connects with something you've learned in the past. Then all of a sudden, it's like playing that card game concentration. All of a sudden, you can flip that card over, and that's a memory that you keep. And so, we've talked about this before. Everybody in the modern world, when they see Egypt, they remember that from so many previous lives. That's a—it's one of the reasons why people, why Egypt is such a catalyst or a trigger for people to suddenly remember. Wait, I'm not this Joe Blow guy here. I'm this immortal or whatever. I've just I have this unexplainable fetish or fascination or attraction to ancient Egypt. But or Chance, to the if, if the time is traditions. happening
0: if time is happening all at once, then there's it's yes. a singularity. There's no there's no such thing as past lives. It's just your linear brain trying to understand, okay, you yeah. living in this this other part of of reality and time and space, but it's actually all happening at once. It's simultaneous lives.
1: If that's the model then there's a million users doing a million things in a million simultaneous universes and some of those wow. universes are situated in what we think is different time. so once again it's like you're aware that you in some other space are having this experience like oh the, the great movie with michelle Yeoh, everything everywhere all at once where well, yeah. she became aware of the activities of all of her parallel selves and parallel universes <laughs> there's there's something weird there i don't pretend to know the exact physics of it but somehow this anamnesis either with time or without time and i agree that time is, is an illusion the idea that when you've encountered ideas that you haven't actually heard before some for some reason the truth of certain ideas just hits you and even though you know science or western society would tell you you're insane for thinking this way sometimes we hear the truth and it just resonates and we just know we just know it's true everyone it has a built-in bullshit detector
0: yeah it completely But resonates. a truth detector more importantly I think I think when you encounter someone that is speaking from their heart and honest and sincere And authentic, you 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 literally feel it in your body, like it's it's a feeling. And and then when someone is doing the opposite, you can feel that too. And and I think I think at least the people that I'm around and the people that I hang out with and that are in my circle, like there's there's no no people who are like the the bullshit type. Like we only allow in the real people. And so so that's just you know that's just what I decided to do with my life. But but. But Chance, we have about five minutes, so we need to okay. wrap this up into a bow and and give it to the people, because once everyone hears this, they're going to be blown away by the amount of information in this episode. And I'm loving it so far. I wish I could keep, keep you longer, but we've got about five minutes. I need you to tie it all together. Wow. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, from aliens Uh-oh. deciding the fate of humanity and you being the arbiter to... Everyone having a Kundalini activation all at once and moving into the fifth dimension.
1: I think it has to do with a life cycle trajectory. I think in the West we are about a five-year-old, or maybe we're an eleven or twelve-year-old, and we're about to go through a kind of puberty. This puberty has happened to other cultures. That you know, look at the Indian culture, the Vedic cultures, the uh, Hindu, uh, the Buddhist, the. Uh, well, there's so many uh just about every major religion has this strange story and its roots about this thing that we're all heading towards this new thing like we're about to realize we can fly but it's something psychic it has to do with the mind and about the spiritual body initiation has to do with this fundamental shift of identity and you identify as your body as your physical body but at a certain point in the initiatory process you realize wait a minute i'm not this meat this meat is more like a video game that i'm playing that i can control it and experience it through the body but i am ultimately the player and not the avatar once you shift your sense of identity from the physical meat body to this higher energetic consciousness yourself your I, the great i am inside of you that's an initiation and suddenly you start living in a different world where the material is present but it's not the thing that's causing the motion there's this hidden thing behind reality and that's what you start dancing with when you go through this initiatory process and we all feel it we all feel the emptiness and that all of society is built to keep us from questioning what's missing why do i feel so empty and pointless all the time and the initiation is the process of recalibrating your sights to see this beautiful growing thing inside of you that the outside world is trying to kill
0: chance i absolutely adore these conversations and i my intention is to feature you as a guest more and more i want you to be a sort of regular at the hxp and and you know just because our conversations are so high level and and you know i, I don't get that i mean i, I get that but not like this and i think it's very unique and that's why within just a few weeks like i was like chance please come back you know like (laughs) because i want more and and i think we just have this rapport that just it just connects and hopefully people can feel that so chance where can people find magical egypt your work where can people go to find out more about you
1: (sighs) magicalegypt.com fancy that could be simpler so we have um season three is just uh is is out there we're underway on season four and a magical Egypt feature film but you can watch all the shows and hundreds of hours of podcasting and brilliant conversations like the one I'm having with Xavier it's all on magicalegypt.com
0: perfect guys what a show what a show to wrap up the the year and just kind of just you know be done be done with the all the drama of at least 2022 right and yep so so, chance wish you a very very happy new year my friend i hope that same to you we, we exit this matrix very very soon and i'm just gonna play the roll credits and we guys we will be back next week of course we're gonna be doing this weekly and back to the old schedule every thursday and um Oh, catch you guys next week.